Hello, welcome to Talking Serverless. I'm your co-host, Joshua Proto, and today I will be with Will Beattie, the co-founder and CTO of Kedra, Asia's leading mobile commerce solution. Will, thank you so much for taking time today to chat with us on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, Josh. Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. Now, you know, uh, a common thing we like to do and start off with is just to hear a little, little bit about you. Uh, how did you get into development? How did you end up working on Kedra? You know, did you always see yourself as a CTO in the e-commerce space or did that sort of grow naturally? Yeah, yeah, good question. Well, yeah, I mean, my career started well, long, long time ago in the early, early 2000s in um, New Zealand. Um, I actually got into development. Um, it wasn't, wasn't really planned. I, I had a cost control job at a shipping company, which effectively meant doing a lot of uh, data entry. Um, and I was frustrated with you know doing data entry and, and decided to find a better way. So ended up building uh, kind of automation programs in VBA, which is powers Excel. Um, so you'd have a Excel spreadsheet, which would then uh, actually open up the IBM mainframe green screen system. Remember, it's a while ago, and um, would would actually do all of the data entry for me. So I kind of automated my way out of the job, and then was able to work on more fun kind of engineering projects. And um, from there, I you know joined my um, brother's digital agency in, in New Zealand, and you know worked on worked on content managed websites, uh, which, you know, again, early 2000s, WordPress and, and all these, you know, content management systems didn't really exist. So every agency, um, every agency ended up building their own, you know, pretty poor content management system. Uh, and that's, that's what we did. And, and, you know, we, we also did a, a bit of mobile development in those days. It was very, very primitive, um, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, from there, I moved, sort of made a conscious decision to move out of, um, the agency space where, uh, you know, the, the projects tended to be very rushed. The, the, the quality of the, the engineering was, was not really a priority. So I, I made a conscious decision to move into the product development and, uh, had an opportunity with a, a startup in New Zealand called eBus. Um, eBus had a, uh, they, well, they hired me to build a advertising, uh, logistics platform. So effectively bridging, bridging the logistics for a television commercial, uh, which is, you know, ultimately produced by a post production and allowing, allowing to deliver that, um, into broadcasters. Um, so, you know, we, we had a platform where, uh, the, yeah, the, the, Post-production would upload the video content, would go through a, um, an automated quality control check, and then um, usually the media agency would then decide where the ad needed to go in the world. Um, and we would, you know, we, we effectively had integrations with uh, thousands of broadcasters globally, and then repurposed all of the, the video content for each of the, the broadcasters. So it was quite a quite a big platform um and this is this is what brought me to singapore in, in 2010 um and then yeah after about two or three years of, of being in singapore we um we sold that company to a business called imd which is now called peach and then i i did um yeah i did 
uh, the sort of handover it was like two to three years of um, you know handing over and setting up the team within the within the larger organization and then and then decide to move on which is yeah so leads me to to cadre so um cadre actually started as a internal project of a um a luxury goods distributor called Sarment. so i was i was brought in to lead um what was you know a, a pretty large and ambitious digital transformation project um so um when I came in, you know, there were, there was agencies that had been appointed, uh, on the UX side and on the development side and a lot of ideas. And then really, you know, I, I came in to kind of steer, uh, all of that to a, a product that we could, we could take to market. Um, and we did, yeah, we did that. Um, yeah, after about a year of development, we, we went to market under a brand called Keys. And, uh, launched, launched the product. Um, and effectively the, the concept was a, you know, a, a mobile app where the, you know, the, the consumers, which tended to be high end. So, you know, the high net worth individuals could buy, they could buy products, um, wine and, and luxury goods, um, but also could book experiences. So we brought together, uh, let's say a, you know, the, the, the playground of the, the rich into a single ecosystem and in a, in a single experience, uh, the consumer could, you know, buy, buy crook champagne, book a test drive, uh, with the latest Ferrari, uh, book their restaurant at, you know, uh, for Friday night, which would be the, the best restaurant. So it was a, it, it was an incredible project. Um, and, uh, what we, yeah, what we discovered as, as we got into it is, is that, um, there was a need for this, this type of technology. So we had, you know, brands, very large, um, brands who, who saw with what we had achieved and, and done and, you know, effectively were looking to, 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 to use the software, buy the software. And, and so what we, yeah, what we did was, um, Spun out the technology from, from that business into, into Kadra. Um, and effectively Kadra is a white label, a white label solution of, of that internal product. Well, and in the beginning when you were launching that project, was it for a global audience? Was it all around the world that, you know, uh, this high end clientele was using or could use the platform? Um, it was, so the, the, because it was an internal, uh, product let's say the, the focus was on the markets the key markets where we were operating so that was singapore hong kong china so and, and this this sort of leads to the, the the decision of why it was mobile first but not only mobile first but mobile only so in you know in in china as china as as we all know and and singapore and hong kong the the, the usage of mobile phones and mobile apps is Way, way ahead of, uh, the, the Western world. And, it, you know, we, we saw that and, you know, this is three years ago and, and then, okay, do we build a website like, like everybody else or, you know, go for what is the optimal, uh, UX and, and, and yeah, so that's, that's why we decided to go with, with mobile. Absolutely. And that definitely, you know, also takes an eye, not just towards the present, but also the future, I think. Uh, Especially with the emerging markets and just the amount of people that are in, uh, are in Asia and they're so mobile first. I have a lot of other colleagues in sort of the business space 
that focus on Asia, and that's the number one thing they always talk to me about. Um, I was even reading your blog early, earlier today and in the week, and you had like a really interesting piece of information from February about how 90% of time is spent using apps versus, versus the browser sort of as a point for no, um, mobile native apps. And, you know, 90% is fairly high. We don't really get to see metrics like that. And does it still look like it's only going to continue to be 90%? Is that number only going up or do you think it's sort of stabilized? Um, yeah, it is a high number. I mean, there is, you know, obviously it's, it's, it, it's skewed very high, but obviously when you get into the detail, you look at, you know, the actual apps that are being used and there is obviously a high percentage of that. Time is, is on social media, right? So you've got Facebook, WhatsApp, um, you know, messenger apps do, do make up a, a huge percentage of that, that time. But yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it is, but it, it depends on the, yeah, it really depends on the, the brands. I think the, the 10% of time that people are on websites is because they have no other option. Um, yeah, there, there's a real, you know, what we, what we see as a real disconnect. Um, in the digital ecosystems of big, big brands, uh, even luxury brands, you know, they, even if they have a mobile app, they'll send out an e- email and you click on the link in the email and it takes you to a website, even though you've got their app installed and you're already logged into their app. So it, it's, it's a real, it's a real mess. And, and what I, what I see and what, you know, frustrates me a lot as a consumer is, is, is big brands tend to overinvest on their website and then kind of retrofit a mobile app on top of it, which, which ends up being incredibly poor user experience. So they most, you know, well, many, many big brand apps are actually just a, a web view to their, to their website. And it's, it's just not friendly. Uh, it, it's not fast. It's, it's not efficient. Um, and, and it's, it's very unfriendly for, for the user. And it's, it, it seems like it's still an afterthought, um, which, which, which is a big problem. When, you know, all of the data shows that people are, are on mobile more than they are on desktop, especially, especially in this part of the world. Commerce transactions, e-commerce transactions are now over 50% are done on mobile devices. So, you know, our view, as Kadra, my view is that, you know, you should, should be going mobile first and then, and then look at, you know, look at optimizing your website to drive traffic into, into the app. Really. That to try and, to try and maintain two, you know, an app and a, and a website and have feature parity is a, is a, an expense which is, is too great even for, for big organizations. So you have to try and differentiate the use cases uh, and and work on the, the you know the, the platform which is which is going to be the best for that. You can see it with the banks now in in Singapore. So in order to log into your bank account in Singapore, you have to have the app of the bank. That's that's it. You've got a digital token, and that's yeah. that's the only way you can do it. Uh, they used to have uh, physical you know tokens that you you would use and now it's it's all digital. Um the some of the telcos here are, you know, there's specific um services or, or, or features that again you can only do in, in an app. Um so it's 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 the balance of defining what is, you know, what's gonna provide the best experience for the user, but 
um, yeah, also the yeah the cost cost comes into it as as well. Yeah. Absolutely, and I think you know you really hit the nail on the head in many ways when you're talking about you know needing to optimize for your users and desire and whatever their end result is. You know, I find that's very similar in in my line of work with serverless, where a lot of the times, a lot of our work, and I think the work of technology, a lot of the time is just making it, whatever your end goal is, making it as easy as possible. And whether it's e-commerce or serverless, you know, it's definitely, that's the master that you serve. It's the customer that you're serving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it has to be geared towards that. I mean, one, you know, one great uh, case in, in Singapore was Amazon Prime. So when Amazon Prime launched in Singapore, it was an app only. So the only way you could buy from, from Amazon uh, in Singapore was, was via a mobile app. So it, it, you know, obviously the biggest, biggest e-commerce provider in the world uh, goes with a mobile first strategy um, in, in a place like Singapore. You know, it, it certainly says something. And, you know, Amazon, arguably, you know, they, they listen to their customers. They're, they're all about the customer. Um, you know, it was very, um, it was very telling. Um, yet you still have, you still have other sort of emerging e-commerce providers that, that go for the, the kind of website first. And, you know, I think, I think ultimately they'll, they'll lose out because it's, it's, it's just, you know, on mobile. It's just not a nice experience. Uh, and, you know, there is a, there is, you know, the, the argument of progressive web apps. Um, but, you know, name one, name one, which is successful. You know, Uber, Uber has a progressive web app. Who uses it? Nobody because it's really clunky and, and, and unfriendly. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading on this topic and, it, it really is that the progressive web app argument is, is Google and Microsoft versus Apple, essentially. So Google, Google obviously has a vested interest in, in everything staying on the web, in the browser, people searching. Uh, Microsoft is, they need, they need apps for their, their Microsoft store and progressive web app is a, is a nice platform for that. Uh, cause people don't want to, they don't want to develop on, you know, Kind of Microsoft core platform. Um, so you've got the two, the two of them sort of partnered up to try and promote this, you know, open, fair web, you know, progressive web app uh, strategy. But you, you're fighting against, like you're fighting against Apple. Apple still controls the browser on, on iOS and always will. So the progression of the, the progressive web app uh, functionality and spec is still going to be controlled by Apple. So Apple decides when to implement uh, a new a new feature. And they have no they have no reason to do it. Uh, they're you know the, the the app store is incredibly successful. They want to and I think correctly they want to control the the quality of the apps and what's what's going on in there. And ultimately, Apple represents the 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 majority of the the um, consumers that spend money. So even though they they have what twenty twenty five percent of the the overall user base, when it comes to dollars spent, it's it's seventy five percent. So an Apple uh, an iOS user spends 
way, way more than a, an Android user uh, uh, on average. So when it comes to e-commerce, yeah, a, a native app, you know, focus focused on on iOS is is you know is is the starting point. Obviously, you need to support Android, mm-hmm. um, but if you're you know if you're looking at you know consumers who who spend money, they're all on iOS. That's 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 a fact. It's the, the data is clear on that. And it seems like you know in order to be the sort of industry leader and to be in the position with Kedra that you currently are in. Uh, it seems like there's have there's been a lot of like learning as well as being on top of the metrics and user patterns and that sort of thing. And would you say this is something you've always sort of had? Have you always been sort of like a voracious learner in the industry that you're in, or has Kager really been forcing you to sort of double down in that side? Um, you know, you were talking a little bit before, and it seemed like you know you really have had the experience of knowing what it takes to take a company. Uh, you know, to exit and have had successful exits with a number of companies. So I'm interested to hear about, you know, the learning process that goes in with all that experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've always, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's probably comes from the fact that I, did, I didn't, uh, have the opportunity to go to university. So I don't have a degree and I've always kind of felt that, um, not, not insecure, but, you know, a little bit like, you know, I, I need to try harder to, to learn because I didn't have that foundation and, uh, you know, learning, uh, on all, all different topics, not just technology is, 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 is a core part of, of what I do. And I'm, you know, uh, you know, now, you know, obviously gone through exits. I know what it takes to, to build a company up. Um, I think, I think with Kadra, so, you know, Kadra is actually the first, um, you know, the company where there's been a mobile, uh, mobile element to it, actually. So, you know, in, in previous companies, it's, it's always been, um, web focused, um, well, with, without any apps. So it's, it's the first time it's, you know, that I've, I've worked on, on mobile projects. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, really tried to, tried to understand it and, and get, you know, deep into, get deep into it because ultimately you know our customers depend on us to advise what is what is the best best way forward what's the best platform what's what's the best strategy and really the the core of cadre is we're we're trying to give the you know mobile technology to to businesses which otherwise would never be able to afford it um you know the if you're a, if you're a, you know, maybe a, a small retailer of five stores, you know, the, the, for you to create your own app on top of what is usually a, a set of systems which don't talk to each other, um, you know, a point of sale, which is not even connected to the internet often, uh, and, uh, ERP, which is sitting on a machine in there, in the, in the office somewhere, uh, and then maybe a, Maybe a simple Shopify, uh, website. So for that, for a business like that, to so actually engage an agency and, and, and build an app, I mean, the, the, the cost of the, in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands, and they, they would never do it. And even if they had the budget, what, what, you know, I often see is that, you know, these businesses like Sarment, when I joined, joined them, they don't have anyone internally who can actually lead that project. 
uh, and you know agencies, uh, you know they, they have a, 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 a you know they, they play their their part in, in, in doing things, but they're ultimately paid for time. So so if if a customer uh, you know a customer is asking for something, even if the agency thinks it's a bad idea, they'll probably still do it. Uh, and just charge them for the for the time. So so there's a there's a missing role role on the customer side, which is both project management and 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 product management. And without that, then yeah, the the projects uh, you know will will blow out in terms of cost, and and ultimately they'll get something that that's that's not very good and and not very useful. Um, so you know we we're trying to you know, we're, we're not trying to we are enabling you know, businesses to to jump to mobile uh, at a at an affordable price and just cut out all of the the you know all of the all of the nonsense of, of dreaming about, you know, you know, augmented reality and all this sort of stuff and just go, look, you know, let's get let's start with the basics. The basics are you need to uh, get your customers into your own ecosystem and and sell them goods and goods and services and and market to them you know almost on a you know one to one basis um so that's that's the starting point and you know all of the you know all of the the conversations about user experience and and all the things to say look we've done it we've spent millions doing it you know this is this is what we had it works we've we've refined it over Years um, and, and got the data to, to you know, uh, behind all of those decisions. Don't worry about that part. Just worry about your your core offering as as a business, because um, because ultimately, you know, the you know the the user experience is is not going to make uh, or if it's poor. Obviously, it's going to have a a, a, a a big impact, but. You know, arguing over the position of, of buttons isn't gonna isn't gonna change much if your underlying offering uh, isn't that compelling, or if your pricing is is too expensive, or your your, your products are, are not very unique. So, you know, we we always advise our customers just to focus on, you know, you focus on that part because we can't control that ultimately, and you know, let us let us you know give you you know take care of take care of the rest. Um, I think you know one you know, one other thing that one part that we tell customers is that it's also about getting back your your customer database. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses, well, especially at the moment in the food and beverage industry, they're forced now to do delivery um, and, and take away food, which which they've never never done before. Uh, you've got some, you know, Michelin star restaurants here in Singapore now, uh, doing takeaway, which is awesome for consumers, but it's, it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a dramatic change of business for them. And, you know, they're, they're all in this, this current state where it, they have to effectively gift their customer database to the food delivery platforms like Deliveroo and Grab and, and Food Panda. So they have to give away their customer database to to an aggregator, and also pay them thirty percent. So they lose the customer data, which they built. You know, some of these restaurants have spent years building that database up. So they, you know, immediately give it away to a food delivery platform for nothing. By the way, they don't get paid anything. 
and then they've got to, you know, they've got to pay thirty percent on a on, on every transaction. Um, so it's it's a it's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, so you know what we're, you know, what we try and educate our customers on is that you know if you're if you're selling on food delivery platforms, if you're selling on Amazon, if you you've got your Facebook page, you know, as your only data, it's like you don't own the data, you don't own the customer relationships, uh, and you're you're effectively giving it to these platforms for free. So you need to bring that, uh, you know, get a hold of of your customer data, and and you know really hold on to it and 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 optimize it and get them in a platform where where you own it um and that's it's it's a yeah it's a it's a big a big concern for for small businesses especially absolutely and would you say that sort of you know these two points of being able to cultivate and retain your own customer database as well as not falling into the trap of over investing and maybe more of a traditional uh like a web app based sort of uh, e-commerce platform, um, and steering away to do something where you're us- using a service much like Kedra, where, uh, it's, it's a white label solution. Do you think businesses that don't follow along that path, are they going to be, you know, out of business sooner than later? How critical do you think these, these new obstacles are in an emergency, in, in an emerging business world? Um, it's, it, it'll, so, you know, mobile, yeah, mobile apps are not for every business, right? There, there are certain businesses where it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, we, we're very, uh, honest with, with, you know, prospects that we talk to. If their business model doesn't have any goods or services which have a, a you know, a frequency of, of consumption. So let's say a bed, a bed company. Um, you know, you buy a bed once every 10 years. You probably shouldn't have a, a mobile app, right? It doesn't make sense. So, so yeah. So for those sorts of businesses, a, a website is fine. But for for a business where there's there's any type of frequency, and I'm talking, you know, once a month. So if it's a good or service you consume once a month, to me that's enough of a frequency to to justify an app because it's it's about you know when when it's that once a month. Uh, and that the consumer wants to interact with your business, it's giving them the, the fastest path to, to achieving what they want to do, which is either booking a service. It could be, you know, booking a haircut, uh, booking a, you know, make a reservation at a restaurant, uh, or, or, you know, buying, buying goods. So ordering, ordering your wine, ordering your, uh, your meat, you know, uh, from a butcher. So all these sorts of businesses where, you know, things that you're, you're buying frequently. Uh, if it's baby products, you know, um, nappies is something that, uh, if you, have, if you have babies, you, you know that you have to, you know, buy almost on a daily basis. Um, so, oh, so where there's that, that frequency, it, it makes, makes it, it makes, it just makes sense. Um, and I think, you know, often, yeah, the, the question we're always asked by, um, you know, by, by prospects and, and customers is how, how do I get people to download now? It's like, well, you know, that's, yeah, in, in theory, it's not our problem, but the, you know, it's, it, it's about, you know, it's, 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 it's usually asking why, why wouldn't they? Like, why wouldn't they 
trust your brand, why wouldn't they take that step to, to download your app? Um, you know, it, it's, it's not a, there's different ways. And again, it depends on the business, but if the, if the customer is loyal, if the customer is, is buying frequently, uh, there's no reason why, why they wouldn't. And it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's not a complicated task to, to do it. And once they have it, this is the, the, the thing is like, once that app's downloaded, they, that's it. They're logged in. They're not going to be logged out again. Uh, it's very unlikely they'll, they'll delete it. So, you know, if it's a, a retailer, you can do, uh, you know, you can do simple things like, you know, 10% off your first order via the app. Yeah. Simple. You know, people, people do that. And then, and then you, then you've got it. It's the same as, as bricks and mortar retail. And that's, you know, I throw the question back at, at retailers. Like, well, how do you get them to come in the store? And uh, inevitably they say, well, marketing and, and promotions. Like, well, yeah, it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the same. I really, I really love that point. You know, it's, it's the same. It's sort of, you know, thinking about, well, what's the normal paradigm for your consumer now? And just, you know, there's certain things that are always going to stay the same. And that is your value proposition. And that's sort of what as a retailer. And if you understand that, you just need to talk to your market. You just need to talk to your customers. Now, in order to, you know, create a platform that can manage, you know, a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries, or at least, you know, a select number of them seem definitely like food and beverage ones that have this high level of, uh, frequency or higher levels of frequency are there any sort of development challenges that are inherent to that sort of um to that that sort of use case that come up what have you had to do to sort of manage those challenges um yeah i mean it's you know it's it is a platform right so whenever whenever you have different business use cases on a single piece of software it you end up with you know a lot of configuration points uh schemas um you know which is kind of core to any any content management system so you those are you know from a it's, it does impact development because uh it's the way you develop a platform versus developing a you know a, a bespoke piece of software to solve a very single uh, simple problem is, is completely different right there's there are much much more levels mm-hmm. of abstraction uh in place the you know, as I say, when you have a dynamic schema, um, you know, every, every tenant in our system has completely different schemas of, of how their products are described. And that, you know, it is challenging, um, to, to work with. Uh, it's something personally I've, I've always kind of worked in, in this way. I've always kind of worked on, on platforms. So for me, it's, it's not too bad, but, you know, for, Say more more junior engineers, it, it can be challenging to 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 get up to speed with that. But yeah, it's it's tricky, and that you've also got to be, you know, wherever you're adding new new behaviors, new configuration points, new new workflows, is is ensuring that regression test is 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 in place. Because you know, when when you have you know many many different customers running on the the, the same piece of software. You know, a, a one small change uh, for for one could could impact the others. So, um, yeah, we we invest we invest a lot in in automation. Um, so automating the you know uh, the, the mobile tests, uh, so driving the UI, the 
Um, we do have a, a website, which is kind of the back office interface. Um, the API is just making sure all of that is, is, is working. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging. Um, but, you know, it's, there's no other way. I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to serve hundreds, thousands of, of businesses, so it's, it's just what you have to do. Um, which is something I remind my team all the time when, you know, they're, they're having challenges with, with certain areas of, of the system, which might be a bit more complicated. It's like, yeah, but what's the alternative? You know, we, we have to, we have to do that. This is our business. I definitely see that sometimes, you know, the only way is, you know, the only way is up. It has to get done. So, you know, it forces innovation. It forces, uh, you know, a little grit and that sort of thing. And if you're able to pull it off, sometimes you're the only people who can ever pull it off. And that's, that's a really amazing place to be. So it's great that you've been able to, and your team has been able to, you know, make that success so far. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it's, you know, I, with, with previous companies with eBus, I mean, I, I worked on, you know, the same code base, the same platform, uh, for, for eight, eight years. And it's still being maintained today after 12 years, but, uh, it was eight years of, you know, um, building on top of it, growing, adapting, refactoring, doing all these things. And, you know, it's, it's, it's never perfect. Um, it really is never perfect. There's always, there's always legacy. Um, but it's, it's about, yeah, just, just kind of being, just, you know, persisting and, and working through the issues and, and, and biting off small chunks at a time. Um, you know, it's, there's never, there's never a point in time where you can rebuild the whole thing and start from scratch as, as much as you want to. Um, and so you, you really just got to be making progressive, um, architectural, um, improvements over time. And, you know, we, we have been, we have been doing that. But, you know, the first version of the platform was built by a third party agency, um, in Israel. And, you know, we've, we've now brought all the development in house. And, and now, you know, we've got a much better idea of, of what our product is. And so we're, we're looking at making progressive, um, improvements, uh, with much, we've always used serverless on, on this project, but more for, uh, let's say utility, either kind of utility style functions. So, you know, sending an email, sending SMS or data, data processing, data analysis type, type tasks. But now, now we're, you know, we're really moving more towards, um, more towards serverless with a effectively what we're what we're doing is putting putting in place uh, an api gateway um which will we'll talk to our existing backend as it is and then we can we can look at you know the different modules and start replacing um replacing effectively the endpoints one by one um with with um with serverless and on top of aws yeah that's great and i think you described like that process you described, I think, is where I see a lot of companies actually uh, find a lot of success, which is sort of more of a modular approach to their transition to serverless and modular approach of, of making such a large decision like that. Because, you know, if you have a code base that is as, as old as you've been talking about, you know, not, not every company is lucky enough to have someone like you who, you know, knows where all the lines of code are buried and can understand what everything's going through. Uh, right there. So sometimes it's a much longer 
uh, more expensive process to do that. But, you know, if you have a couple of use cases where you can prove it out and, you know, it's, it proves its value for not just your company, but your users in the end game, then, you know, there's very little reasons to ultimately, you know, continue migrating more and more parts over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if I could, if I could start the product from scratch, uh, you know, it would be, okay, let's, let's start with the assumption everything's on serverless and, and work backwards from that. I mean, serverless doesn't work for everything, but, um, yeah, you would start with that, that mindset and, and, and kind of then deal with the exceptions. So, you know, one, one area that I'm, I'm still not convinced. So bear in mind, I've, I've been building solutions on AWS since 2009. Um, mm-hmm. back then it was EC2 and S3. Uh, and it was, oh, yeah. it was actually very, not very good. <laughs> so there was, <laughs> there was, there was a moment in time where the stability of EC2 was so poor that we moved, we moved all the infrastructure to a provider called GoGrid. Um, which I don't think exists anymore, but, um, we, yeah, it was, it was so bad that we, we, we pulled everything out of AWS. Fortunately, they, they improved it and, and we moved everything back, but, you know, I've seen, I've seen the evolution of it and, and especially serverless, which I think is now coming up five years. It's almost, uh, almost five years, I believe. Um, I think so. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's not for, for everything. I mean, we're, you know, are what I call the critical path is the mobile app. So the experience of the consumer has to be, uh, you know, has to be the fastest experience has to be optimized uh, the most. Now, can you, can you do that, uh, with Lambda? Maybe. Um, but yeah, there, there's always the, the, the chance that those, you know, there's, there's more latency on the, the requests because of, you know, the usual, uh, warm up times and all those sorts of things. So, so that would be an area where I would, you know, have to do a lot of testing to be convinced that, that it is, is workable. But where it's, you know, where it's kind of, you know, back office, um, you know, interacting any, any workflows, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. There's, yeah. Uh, when, when there's not a consumer that's, that's waiting for a response, I think, I think, you know, serverless makes a lot of sense, uh, simplifies, a lot um in terms of well in in terms of the architecture it is it is simple um although there's a lot of moving parts right so i think one of one of the challenges we have with our team now who are new to serverless is you know they're going from you know working on you know monolithic applications mm-hmm. where you can just run a you run the whole thing on your machine and debug every little part of it to Working, you know, in serverless where, you know, you've got to connect with a, a queue. You've got to, you know, be thinking about, uh, role permissions. You need to be thinking about all these different things. Um, and you can't actually run the whole thing locally on the machine. Um, it, it's, it's a big mindset change. Um, and it's, yeah, there's, there's the actual, you know, the, the implementation, let's say, but then there's the actual, uh, more design and architecture where, you know, to, to be effective in serverless, you have to understand, uh, distributed systems design. Um, so, you know, it, even simple things like putting a queue in between, you know, the, the, the producer and, and a consumer is, 
for you know for, for junior engineers coming through it's you know it's a, it's a big leap of oh why why do I have to have a queue you know why can't I just do a uh, you know a, a web request and wait for the response it's like well because you know there's uh, you know if that if that response takes you know sixty seconds you know, it's, it's it's not good um, yeah yeah and what happens if what happens if it fails you know there's all these sorts of things and it's you know there's there's a big there's a yeah, there's a big amount of education that that needs to happen, and we're going through it right now uh, with our with our team is is really, you know, trying to um, educate them on on you know distributed systems, the need for these things, the need for fault tolerance, and, and all these sorts of things. Because in you know in a in a monolithic you know, application, you don't really think about it, um, you, you know, spend much time on it, and it's core to being effective on Lambda because if you just use Lambda for, for, you know, request response uh, APIs, yeah, I mean, what's, you're not really leveraging the benefits to be honest. I've definitely seen that, you know, the companies and organizations that make the most out of serverless, no matter what level is, they're spending a lot of time upfront figuring out what their architecture is, doing, making the hard decisions of, is this even a good use case for me to be, to be using serverless and, yeah, is it in the beginning? Is this even a good use of my time to be using serverless? Um, because a lot of the times, you know, you just see organizations pick the wrong choice, and then you're like, oh no, you you really should not be, you should not have spent all this time and all this energy going to serverless. We're just gonna use EC2 or use something different, and then you know your yeah. problems will be fixed. It, exactly, exactly. I think the the starting point is wherever there's asynchronous. Naturally asynchronous processing, start there. So sending an email, email is naturally asynchronous, right? You don't need to, you don't mm-hmm. need to connect to your, your SMTP server in the, in the, the, the request coming from the end user because email is naturally asynchronous. So push that out to a, a queue, uh, and then talk to, talk to the email server there. So it's just taking those, those little things where it actually doesn't matter, you know. It, it really doesn't matter if if you add a bit of time to the, the the processing because you know email when you send an email, it's it's, it's never it's never real time anyway. Um, yeah. So those, yeah, that's that's sort of where you know where the I I would start on on a you know existing system, and it it becomes very 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 simple, and you you, you have truly you know, there's a lot of a lot of talk about microservices, but now more on the negative side. But you know, there, there's nothing there's nothing more micro than a single function that has an input and output. You know, you, you can't get any smaller than that. No, you definitely can't. So another thing I'm interested in your insight on is, you know, you're definitely lev- leveraging serverless right now, thinking of ways to use it more. Do you think? in the e-commerce space or maybe even the space of, you know, these smaller, more niche software solutions for unique business use cases. Um, do you think there's going to be more of a trend towards that, maybe using serverless or these sort of white label use cases for, um, you know, for systems that these smaller businesses can't really afford to build themselves? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, what, you know, the, the e-commerce space in general, uh, it's very old. I mean, I think Shopify, you know, obviously big, 
you know, big e-commerce platform. It's 15 years old. You know, the, the all, all of these e-commerce platforms, which which uh, you know serve you know serve all of these stores, millions of stores around the world, are, are based on very very old um, technology and 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 architectures. And yeah, I think I think where where there's opportunities for for new vendors coming through is is to is to find more cost effective. Um, you know, architectures ultimately, and it's you know, it's there's a the great book. Um, I forget the name, um, but it's you know, it basically talks about the the disruptors are the ones who take the the, the latest. They don't actually invent anything. They're just they're just putting together a, a more cost-effective product architecture so mm-hmm. that they they undercut the the big boys. Um, and I think yeah, there's def- there's definitely opportunities. Uh, for for new SaaS vendors to come through and and take you know what is a what is a crowded space and, and just find a a better more cost effective um, uh, architecture and you know Lambda you know Lambda is, is is perfect that sort of thing I mean even you know if you you're in the the space of uh, sending emails and, and things like that you know um, anywhere where there's where there's kind of intermittent load coming in it's you know having a land architecture is going to be ultimately more cost effective um so yeah i think i think there are are definitely opportunities there um yeah and i think you 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 see it now and i think there's there are vendors coming through who are you know building primarily on that um especially when you know when it comes to data processing so if you're Doing any sort of analysis and data processing where the, the load is, is not at all predictable. Um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that the thing for me more than anything is, is just the, it's more the operational side because, you know, a, a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of smaller teams, um, you know, they, it's unlikely they have a dedicated DevOps person or you know, operations person. And so the, the the less infrastructure you have to think about and and manage, uh, the better. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, I have a I have a friend, and I was talking to them about what I do, and they were telling me, oh yeah, my partner they used to work at a planetarium, and they had one server for this entire planetarium, and they had just like this interesting DevOps slash janitor that lived in the boiler room with this server and would be fanning it, ah, uh, just completely all the time, and it was you know one one heck of a story. But, you know, if you aren't using a, if you don't need to have a server, you don't need to have that entire process. And, you know, when you're an enterprise level company, sometimes, you know, having multiple data centers that are costing hundreds of thousands a month, if not a million a month, just in costs, total costs for capital and operational expenses, you know, there may be a a time where you don't need to do that anymore. And that's a, that's a huge benefit with serverless. Absolutely. So I don't want to use up all your time. I believe it's the morning for you right now. So I don't want to take up all of the golden hours in the morning. But if there's anything else you would like to add, please feel free. No, I, I think I think that covers that covers everything. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, thanks, thanks for thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the the conversation. You're very welcome. I'm really happy we got to hear about you. And you know, in um, besides doing operations, I'm also a marketer. Uh, 
definitely my past life. So I love the space of e-commerce and all that. So I saw what you were doing and, you know, I was happy I got to interview you today. So, Will, if people are interested in learning more about you or learning more about Kedra, where would be the place to go? They can go to kadra.com, so K-A-D-D-R-A.com. And we've got a, yeah, there's a, there's a live chat on there. You can talk to us. Uh, that goes straight through to, to myself and my co-founder, Quentin. Um, yeah, that's, that would be the best way. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I will also put that information down in the show notes for all of our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to us today. And until next time, this is Josh Proto with Will Beatty. And have a good rest of your day, listeners.